Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush. Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour. This is a special edition here we are, the day after Independence Day, and with me this hour, one of my dear friends and a voice that America knows well, you recognize the voice of former congressman, America's congressman, my dear friend, my brother, Louis Gomert. Louis, how are you? I, I am doing all right, just grieving for stuff going on in the country, but personally doing fine. So how is it, Louis, after Congress, you have spent a lot of your life in the halls of Washington, D.C., in the power corridor, and you decided not to run this last term. How is it now being out of Congress, looking in? Well, it, it wasn't so much a decision not to run for Congress, but since I could only run for one thing, and I knew that... Uh, our attorney general in Texas had involved himself in what his top eight people believed were crimes, that he would end up facing impeachment and likely indictment. So my goal was, even though I got in so very late, maybe if I could stop this from happening by getting elected Texas AG, that that's worth the risk. I realize it was a long shot, but that was my decision more than not running for Congress was to try to save Texas, what we're now going through. But uh, things, uh, uh, on the one hand, it's nice not to have to keep flying back and forth between Washington, D.C. and Texas. But on the other hand, when you see people do really stupid things, it's hard not to want to uh, be there to call them on uh, any improprieties or things that just don't make sense. Well, I want to talk about what's going on in Congress, but we have a lot to cover. I want to cover a lot with you today, Louie. I want to talk about uh, President Trump. I want to talk about briefly the race that Republicans are having right now uh, with all of the candidates jumping in and the field of candidates that the Republican has, which is probably the most diverse field of candidates I've seen anywhere. I want to talk about What's going on in Congress? The uh, the it seems that the majority leader is having his hands full. There have been conservatives that have sort of stopped the progress at some points. It was described in the newspapers as a revolt in Congress. We can get into all of that, but I first want to take you back to what happened in this country last week. We had four major major Supreme Court decisions. And many people may not know that you are also, in addition to being a, a former congressman, a former judge. You have served as a judge. Your background is the law. And I know that you look at these cases that come down from the Supreme Court uh, very seriously. I might add, just before that, you were one of the few Congress people that actually used to read the legislation that you had to vote on so that you were aware of what was actually in the bills. Yeah. Well, nobody can read all of them, but I, I sure I, I spent a lot of nights not sleeping reading things that were too important not to read. 
Uh, and there were numerous times uh, during my years in Congress that uh, conservative friends would go, hey, uh, do you have a copy that you've marked up of this bill? And I'm going, uh, yeah, could I get a color copy of of that? Because they'd see my, my highlights and my different colors and my notes in the margin. And uh, anyway, I've done that with uh, President Trump's indictment as well. But that's, that's what I would do. Nobody can read them all, but I sure read the important ones that I could. And uh, it's tragic that you cannot read all the bills. And uh, many of my friends and I were pushing to try to get uh, a rule in this new Congress that would say you can only have one subject per bill. You can't do a whole bunch of different things, which is why you often heard deep state folks on both sides of the aisle say, uh, we need a comprehensive bill. Comprehensive is congressional dialogue meaning or term meaning we want a big bill that's so big we can hide lots of junk in there that people won't find before we pass it. Uh, that's code. Yes, just like so, I remember, yeah. of course, we all remember Nancy Pelosi uh, advising us that the health care bill that was passed, Obamacare, would have to be read. I mean, would have to be passed before people could find out what was in it. Well, I went ahead and read it, marked it up, and uh, I had people asking for my marked up and highlighted copy. But that was an amazing bill. Uh, and in fact, it. For example, abortion. You know, uh, President Obama told us, you know, that uh, you know there wouldn't be any, uh, you know, abortions, illegal immigrants, and stuff. There were things that he was promising. Well, if you did a word search for the word abortion, you would find that there was only one section in the whole. Uh, 2,500-page bill, that that's all I could find from word search. One place, and it said, you know, that no abortions were covered under the bill. But then if you read through the whole bill, you would find a provision that would say that the procedure mentioned in this little section that said there were no abortion. Uh, that is covered under this, that, or the other. And so you couldn't find it with a word search, but they could refer to that section in which abortion was mentioned and say, okay, it will be covered under this and that. So you wouldn't pick it up on a word search. You had to read the whole bill to find out uh, that actually abortions were covered. And so that's the kind of tricky stuff that people engage in when they're preparing bills that they know a majority do not want to vote for. All right, let's let's switch focus for a moment, Louis, and begin the process about over these four Supreme Court cases, the last four. Mm-hmm. We've had affirmative action. We had the postal worker that successfully sued because he was being forced to work on Sundays against his religious beliefs. Then we had the uh, the case in Colorado with a woman who was being forced by Colorado. Uh, They wanted her to to have to uh, serve 
same sex, even uh, uh, people, even though that was against her religious convictions, and that was a right. web designer. And then, of right. course, you had the student loan. Let's start with affirmative action. There has been so much vitriol from the left with this ruling that pretty much said colleges cannot, or specifically Harvard University and the University of North Carolina, two different cases. But effectively what it did was knock out the idea that affirmative action using racial preferences is okay with college admissions. And even now, Harvard is openly looking at ways to get around it. What do you think of the ruling, first of all? Well, I thought it was a totally appropriate ruling. We have seen our society go from the days where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was pleading, you know, that we needed to judge people on the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. And we had moved ever so close to that being, you know, the a way of life in in America to now having people in this day and time saying we need to have segregated dorms based on, and you can only say they're based on the color of your skin. And we have more and more people saying that stuff. So it's high time the Supreme Court made it very clear. And uh, I'm a big uh, Justice Clarence Thomas fan. And I... Because he has been so attacked ever since he was nominated, uh, people don't realize how incredibly smart he he really is. I was speaking at an event out in California some years back where John Yu, who was a clerk, he's now a law professor, but he was a clerk for Clarence Thomas. And I told him, I am so glad you mentioned the brilliance of uh, Clarence Thomas because people don't realize uh, he is brilliant, and uh, anyway, he started out, uh, as he points out in his uh, autobiography, that he was liberal. He had been discriminated against, and then he got accepted to Harvard Law School after he was out of college and then went to uh, went for, I think, half a day and decided Harvard was too liberal, and so... He dropped out and applied to Yale, got into Yale. Like them, they were more liberal. But over time, he could see that the big liberals only wanted to talk to him about sports or oppression of blacks. And the conservatives would talk to him about anything. They didn't seem to think he was limited in what he could discuss. And that began to make him think. But we have seen it go so far the wrong way where – Openly, people are advocating you've got to judge people by the color of their skin, and that includes people, admissions people at Harvard, Yale, some of these folks, and it's just wrong. It's still wrong. It was wrong when Dr. King was giving his life to make people understand, and it's still wrong. It's just just because we've got pseudo-intellectuals at Harvard and Yale thinking uh, gee, we're above the fray. They're not. So the Supreme Court really did the right thing, saying, no, what do you not get? You can't use race as a basis for judging somebody's qualifications. Well, the newest justice to the Supreme Court, uh, Justice Ketanji 
said, and, and she and she read her dissent, and Clarence Thomas read his his uh, opinion, which was, of course, uh, consistent with the majority opinion on the court, and that's being framed as a battle. Now, Justice Katanji says that uh, that the Supreme Court has its head in the sand. They're ostriches. That this is not going to solve the problems of race by knocking this affirmative action out. But my so my question to you, uh, Louis, is is the government responsible for solving the problems that people, some people may have? And I don't believe that the majority of Americans do have a racial problem. But is this the government's job in the first place to come in, put their hand on the scale and tell people how they must think in their hearts? How can that ever be effective? Well, it's been done for years. Uh, and when somebody's constitutional rights are being violated uh, strictly because of their race, uh, just the color of their skin, that is wrong. And, you know, the 14th Amendment gives uh, some source of, of reference to to uh, have the federal government step in. Uh, but it has gone way too far with regard to race and with regard to re- religion, two of the things you brought up. Because, you know, we have had, we have gone from being a nation that was 70 to 80% Christian. It was based and founded, despite what people want to cite 1612, uh, want to ignore. It was founded on Judeo-Christian beliefs. And now we have come full circle where the only people in America it seems to be okay to discriminate against based on their beliefs are Christians. And that's, and Louis, so, Louis, let me cut you off there because we got to go to a break. But that's okay. a good point that we can pick up on because that brings us into two of the rulings by the Supreme Court. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy, with you here at Bo Snurdy's Rush Hour. This is Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire. Love is a burning thing. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdy. Rush. On 77 WABC. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. This is Bo Snurdly here with you on our special edition of Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour with me. This hour, my dear friend, former congressman, America's congressman, Louis Gomert. Louis, we left off talking about religion, and that, that takes us, and the courts, and that takes us to the second decision. That came down from the Supreme Court. It's not getting as much press as I expected, but that is probably because the other two decisions are so huge. But this was a case where the post office had told one of their religious employees who happened to be a Christian that I'm sorry, you don't, you know, yeah, you want to go to church on Sunday, but we want you to deliver Amazon packages on Sunday, and you have to. And this was something that was surprisingly, this case ended up to me surprisingly, as a unanimous ruling by the court. Can you to your, tell us what the court really says with this ruling? Well, that's a great question because people misunderstand. Uh, but this was a huge ruling. If you go back to 
the begin uh, in modern history when the Supreme Court had taken up the uh, question of the accommodation of religion. How far do you have to go to accommodate somebody's religious beliefs? And there was a, a de minimis test. You know, if you could uh, accommodate them with a minimum amount of change, then you needed to do that. But if it was more than that, then the employer really, you know, didn't have to accommodate the religious beliefs. And that was strictly, that de minimis test was strictly a Supreme Court created uh, test. It, it, you know, it's not in the Constitution. Uh, in fact, the First Amendment makes clear, you know, you won't prohibit the free exercise thereof. And so, uh, talking about religion. So when, in this case, the Supreme Court really, and I'm so glad, James, you pointed out, this is profound because this is correcting years and years of bad decisions by the Supreme Court because they're going, you know what, that de minimis test it, that you have to accommodate religion if it's just a minimum, real, very minimum amount of work, no, that doesn't really do justice to people's religious beliefs because clearly this person believed he was supposed to worship on Sunday together in a church, and the court said, okay, that's more than a mere modicum. This is uh, a lot more struggle, but for heaven's sake, if you don't allow him to go to church on the day that it's his religious belief that he must, then you really are, uh, the courts will be allowing them to prohibit the free exercise of religion. So this was a big deal, uh, as you point out, because that changes years of Supreme Court findings and, and lower courts of appeals findings uh, that, man, this was going to take too much effort to change the schedule to accommodate these religious beliefs to now saying, no, this is legitimate. you got to accommodate this. And I wonder, is this going to be extrapolated when people now say, for instance, they have a religious uh, objection to, oh, I don't know, let's say taking a vaccine because they don't. Yep. yep. And I wonder now, will this accommodation have to be taken seriously? I would hope so. Uh, I would certainly hope so based on this. Of course, the military is determined to um, battle against people that refuse to take the vaccine, uh, at least some parts of the military. Uh, they're not taking the law seriously. They still want people to take vaccines. And I think the test for being allowed to stay in the military is – Will you follow the Constitution, or are you going to demand that people take a vaccine where the jury is still out on whether or not there's more harm than good? And if you're in the military and you're a commander and you want to order people in the military to be experimental guinea pigs, which is uh, illegal, then you need, you're the one that needs to be out of the military. That's where it needs to go. But I hope that it will be applied in that way because some of the people that complained to me as a member of Congress um, would say they said they'll examine my religious beliefs, but they haven't done anything. They haven't talked to anybody. They just made the call, no, nope, this doesn't, doesn't affect my religious beliefs. 
so the military was grossly unfair, and I think it does need to be litigated in light of the new decision by the Supreme Court. Now let's quickly turn to the case 303 Creative LLC versus Alinas. That is the case where a Colorado, and this is Colorado, is insistent that people are going to do what they say when it comes to same-sex weddings, when it comes to same-sex beliefs, never mind your religious beliefs. So once again, Colorado, because of this insistence, was at the Supreme Court despite the previous ruling, which was a much narrower case over the baker who refused to create a wedding cake. This woman, her name is Lori Smith, wanted to open up a, a, a web design business, and she wanted to do wedding websites, but only to tell the stories of brides and grooms through God's lens, through her religious beliefs and apparently their religious beliefs. And she proactively, before the business was set up, sued because she did not want to get caught up with Colorado's insistence. And the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. just ruled in her favor. Now, one of the things that came out, the objections to this, and you hear this from many Democrat politicians are saying, including, I believe, Justice Kagan made the argument that this is really horrible because it denies a protected class their freedom. And I just want to, so my first question to you is, when, when did the Constitution hinge on whether you were in a protected class or not. I never saw the term protected class in the Constitution of the United States. No, it's not, but that was another creation of the Supreme Court that we will categorize different classes, and if you're in a class that we deem to be protected um, while looking uh, in the shadow of the penumbra, between the lines, uh, then, yeah, you're protected and you have to do whatever those protected people want you to do. So this was another good decision in saying, look, these she's in effect an artist and she creates websites and it's against her religion uh, to support this type of lifestyle. Uh, doesn't hate them. She's uh, has apparently Christian beliefs, and we're supposed to love everybody, but it doesn't mean you can condone or participate in things that you know are destroying society. Uh, And, you know, we've seen some of this, um, well, with the drag shows and bringing a little kid here, touch this area of my body. I've sentenced people for doing that with kids. Uh, And, in this case, it's, as I understand, just a same-sex wedding, but she, her religious beliefs led her to believe, and I think history backs her up, that this is, in the end, ultimately harmful to society. And uh, she said she couldn't do it, and the lawsuit over it, and uh, fortunately, she is allowed to have her Christian beliefs uh, according to the Supreme Court. Uh, but, you know, this this is old stuff. If you go to uh, not so long ago, the Soviet Union, I was an exchange student over there in college, and, uh, you know, 
it was interesting. If you were an artist, you you drew, you painted, you created whatever they told you to, and everything you did had to be uh, affirming of the Soviet government. And uh, you go back to uh, you know, the Nazi Germany, same kind of deal. Uh, you did not have freedom of expression to paint or create what you wanted. You did what they told you, and you stayed away from the things that they told you to stay away from. So I'm very glad the Supreme Court likes the idea of freedom for artists. And by the way, it was interesting to me, if you looked at the best paintings ever done, in uh, Russian history, there's some fabulous works. Um, and if you looked where it all started to go wrong and the art was much poorer, it was after 1917 and after 1918. And the further you went, the more the government clamped down and the worse the art was, in my opinion. But uh, she's not going to be forced to create something as an artist, a web design that goes against her Christian beliefs. And I applaud the Supreme Court for doing that. And can I, I throw one, in, uh, one thing in about that. There, I, I've just seen a, a headline from Newsweek about did Clarence Thomas benefit from affirmative action he just struck down. And the truth is, he was, that's one of the reasons he's, started becoming a conservative from being an angry black liberal, as he told me. Uh, it's because yeah, look, Louis, we, we're sure, I got to stop yeah. you here. We got to take yeah. a break. But okay. I want to come back and I want to talk about the other court case that was there, which is this business with the student loan. So we'll do that. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley here with you on both Snurley's Fresh Hour when we get back. Don't go away. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Bo Snerdly. On 77 WABC. It's The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snerdly. Rush. Now, here's Bo Snerdly. James Golden, Bo Snerdly with you here. It is our special July after the July 4th celebration. But our special July 5th show with... America's Congressman Louis Gohmert. Uh Louis, you were talking about Clarence Thomas and his conversion yep. from a liberal into a conservative with regard to the affirmative action. I've seen the same thing, and he's talked about this very openly. Yes, that, that, yes. Yeah. And it gets to Yale, and the liberals are all looking down on him because they had this attitude that, yeah, if it weren't for us liberals, you wouldn't you wouldn't get in here in this kind of school because you're not near as smart as us. And it was a condescension based on his race, oh, that you the only reason you got here was affirmative action. Well, he got there because his grades, his scores justified him being there. And it is so offensive to think that somebody – just because they're black like Clarence Thomas, they can't possibly be as smart as you are. And so for Newsweek to be saying, didn't he benefit from this? Well, if they strictly went by qualifications, he didn't ben benefit from it. Uh, but uh, he was ever bit as smart as he needed to be to get into Yale, and he's proved himself a whole lot smarter than most of those he was in school with. 
The other Supreme Court decision now deals with Joe Biden and the student loans. Nancy, what I love about this is that in the ruling, they quoted Nancy Pelosi saying that a lot of people think that Joe Biden has the power to do this. He doesn't have the power to do it. And the Supreme Court agreed with Nancy Pelosi. No, Joe Biden does not have the power to just issue a blanket forgiveness over people's debts. What do you what do you think about that ruling? think is great it uh it uh actually nancy pelosi and and uh she was quoted in the opinion she had said the president does not have the power to forgive debt he can postpone it delay it uh but he cannot forgive it that requires congress and actually she was right about that Gee, every now and then she hits the nail on the head, and she did with that. The Congress has to do any forgiveness of debt. The president does not have that power, and fortunately the Supreme Court came to the right conclusion. Wow. Let's quickly turn, because time is fleeting, as it always does, when we get together and we chat up. Let's talk about— Yeah, we never have enough time. I know, Louis. Let's talk about Donald Trump and this indictment. Now, you— read the indictment, this 37-page. There's a story, by the way, today. I don't know whether this is just a one-off clickbait story, but there was a story today that the prosecutor is looking at adding more charges on it because Mm -hmm. of fears that this case is going to be tossed out. Now, I've talked to a bunch of lawyers that said this case should have never been brought because the Presidential Records Act covers this. The president Mm -hmm. ultimately has, and it's black-and-white-letter law, the ability to decide what he's going to take with him when he leaves the White House. But that said, you have gone through the indictment. You're a, you're a former judge. You're a lawyer. What did you find? And I've been a prosecutor, and I've been a defense attorney, and I was a chief justice. So, yeah, I've gone through this. And, you know, it should be thrown out. It really should be. Uh, bringing this under the Espionage Act, are you kidding me, really? That's ridiculous. But um, so the thing is, and I want to point this out, if you go on the Department of Justice website, they give you a sample indictment. And these sample indictments are five lines long. Uh, so, and, and there's room, you can add some facts in there. But, but they go on for, what, 44 pages? And let me tell you, uh, one of the things they have to prove is either is intent that he had a corrupt intent, uh, uh, and in fact, uh, in count thirty-two, it comes right out and said that he corruptly concealed a record. Well, James, to corruptly conceal a record or have intent to commit a crime by holding the records. You have to have the intent not to preserve them, not to make them available. But in Donald Trump's case, he wanted these records preserved. He had already seen from the Durham report and before that the Horowitz report and before that the the finding by the FISA court that the judge was lied to by FBI and DOJ higher-ups. And so – his desire was never to get rid of documents or make them unavailable. His desire was to preserve them so that 
historically he could be proven to be correct on the stands that he took because he knew they would destroy documents, they change them, they lie about them, just so much corruption. So I would contend, James, you cannot prove President Trump was corrupt if there was corruption, and that includes the National Archives, if it was corruption in the DOJ, FBI, and National Archives, then the one who did not have corrupt motivation was President Trump. So there are a lot of problems, uh, the, the espionage act being one, the proving intent. I think having the Justice Department have to prove intent, even if they got by the thing being thrown out under the espionage act, they still, as a matter of fact, are going should have to defend themselves, uh, put the FBI and the DOJ on trial. And by the way, uh, in, in NARA, the National Archives, put out a statement on this after people were criticizing, gee, you rented a huge facility, shipped all these boxes to Chicago for President Obama, you shipped all these hundreds or thousands, whatever it was, boxes to Arkansas for Clinton, you shipped them and you rented a big facility in Dallas for President George W. Bush and did the same, you know, that's what has been going on for 30 years. They never offered to do anything like that for President Trump. They never consulted with him about what he could do. Uh, he, He asked that the gee, there's no other place, well, okay, we'll get them at Mar-a-Lago. And so it kind of sounds like they were helping, the National Archives were helping setting him up instead of uh, advising, helping him all the way along. Uh, But he knew they weren't fans of his, that they were going to work with the Justice Department to try to take him down and keep him from being president because – He's going to clean house if he becomes president again. He's going to get rid of the criminals. Wow. I think that will come as a revelation to people that that the National Archives did not even do, quote, their job with with this with former President Trump. Well, they've now issued a statement saying, hey, he didn't notify us he was going to have a presidential library. So uh, we. You know, we didn't do that for him, but it it was all his fault because he didn't reach out. They have an obligation to advise the president, and it it is so ridiculous that some bureaucrat at the National Archives can dictate to the president of the United States – what he can or can't do when all Trump was interested in is preserving the documents that show I was right, and uh, and those are things that were probably going to disappear. All right, let's turn Hunter Biden, DOJ, the the slap on the wrist that Hunter Biden is going to get, which includes a diversion program that has never so far as I can tell, been offered anybody else but Hunter Biden on a a diversion on a gun charge, which the DOJ says in their policy that they don't do. How is all of this playing out for the American people? Well, we're finding out more and more facts all the time, and it just gets to stinking more and more and more. Uh, Clearly, the DOJ didn't just have their thumb on the scales in the last election. They had their 
fist. They had their feet. They were affecting the outcome of the election. And I, I said this on, on the floor of the House, that for Durham to say he does not want to affect the outcome of an election, so he's holding up prosecution, that is affecting the election. John Durham did affect the elections uh, against Trump and for Biden by sitting and taking so long to bring charges. Uh, so and you can go back to uh, the deals the DOJ has been making for some time. And this with Hunter Biden, oh, it's a sweetheart deal. Uh, he can plead to something minor. And no, that's not the way it works if you're a serious prosecutor and you're not as corrupt as some at the DOJ still are. And I include my belief that uh, Christopher Ray is uh, more corrupt than J. Edgar Hoover. But uh, wow. if you go back to the Hillary Clinton debacle where uh, the private server, they cut a deal with the guy that that uh, installed her server. We won't prosecute you, and you give us information. Cheryl Mills, that was... Uh, an advisor, the top advisor to Hillary Clinton, or, or one of the top, um, she was clearly involved in making sure there was nothing to turn over uh, that was subpoenaed. Uh, and she had a laptop, which it was believed had tremendous amount of incriminating information against Hillary Clinton. Well, any good prosecutor will tell you the way you get the big fish, you start with the small ones. And you say, look, you're guilty of this minor law break, this one, this one, this one. We can add these all together, and we've got about 500 two-year charges here. We can get nail you with a 1,000 years in prison. But if you will tell us the truth about what you know about the person above you, then we'll agree to a two-year deal, and you get probation for that kind of charge. And then you go to the next one. Here's the evidence. We can convict you, but we'd like to know what happened above you. And here's what, you know, you give us good information, then we'll we'll uh, give you a light sentence. Uh, never happened, light sentence. That never happened with Hillary Clinton. Instead, we get the head it, of the it, FBI. Cheryl Mills... Cheryl Mills, they gave her an immunity deal. The FBI says, if you will let us just see your laptop and what's on it, then they put in right, we will not prosecute you for it or use anything we find in any prosecution. We just want to look. All they had to do, James, was get a subpoena, get a warrant, grab that thing. They said, well, we were worried she might get rid of No, you go in there and uh, – and grabbed that laptop before she had a chance to do that. Uh, but they gave her immunity. They gave the uh, server guy immunity. And all of those people that could have nailed the people above them, they gave immunity and didn't prosecute or did very minimal. Uh, and that's what we got with Hunter. Hunter could nail his father. And from reports from the White House, uh, you know, Joe Biden is scared to death of what may be coming, but he shouldn't be. They're protecting him at the DOJ. 
so you you give a little sweetheart deal to Hunter Biden, and uh, you know he has no incentive to tell what really happened. Well, Louis, we got to stop it there. I got we have one more segment left, and I want to talk to you about what's going on in Congress very briefly. Louis Gohmert is with us, America's Congressman. This is James Golden, Boston Early with you here on WABC. We're coming back right after this. Don't go away. Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. On 77 WABC. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. James Golden, occasionally with you. With me is my good friend, my brother, Louis Gohmert. Louis, Congress, Kevin McCarthy, there are people, of course, Republicans are never satisfied, and I don't blame them, when their expectations are not met in Congress. Right now, Kevin McCarthy is facing, or was facing, a bit of a rebellion from the conservatives. Here's my question to you. Are there as many conservatives in Congress as the conservative base would like to believe there are? My contention, Louis, is that there have never been, never been a conservative majority in in the House of Representatives. We know it's certainly not in the Senate. Yeah, well, uh, I think you're right. There are not as many as true conservatives as uh, many across the country would want to believe, but I've also got to say, uh, James, I, I've seen people, I've helped them, you know, supported them getting elected, and I truly believe very conservative, conservative principles. You meet their family, they're conservative, uh, Judeo-Christian principles, and then you get to Congress, and you start being told, oh, you're so fantastic. We're so glad you're here. You know, you, and I know you want to be on this committee or that committee uh, and, and eventual chairman of this or that. And that's going to happen. It, not necessarily the first uh, session you're, you're in Congress, but all you got to do is be a team player and you're going to get there. And, and some people think it's all about threats, but in the early days, it's not about threats so much as it is about leading them into being a team player. And then two, three, four years later, you know, the conservative stuff had been done, and the conservatives, I know cases, they go back and say, hey, you know, I, you promised me we would do this, that, and the other. Oh, well, yeah, you just got to be a team player. I've been a team player. No, you're not being a team player. You're not, you, you just got to have faith in us. And sometimes they talk those people into backing down again. And I, Roger Ailes kind of gave me a dose of that the only time I ever met him. Uh, I said, uh, well, Sean Hannity and Monica Crowley both told me that whenever I met you, I needed to thank you, Roger, for being the first person in television that felt like it was okay to have a southern accent on TV. And he said, well, you know, I've seen you and you do a nice job. But i got to say, I really wish you guys would work better together. And I said, I do too. And he said, no, I don't think you understand. I want you to all run the same play together. And I said, I do too. 
but when my quarterback calls a play to run to the wrong end zone, not only am I not blocking for him, I'm going to tackle him before he gets to the wrong end zone. And he just kind of shook his head like, oh, this poor guy doesn't get it. But I don't think he understood. (laughs) Just because you have the majority doesn't mean you're doing conservative things. It takes people standing up, and it means you're going to be called dumb, and you're going to be called self-serving and all this kind of stuff. But you know in your heart, it's not fun having so many people, you know, blast you and call you names and things. But it has to be done, and that's what happened on the vote for speaker. These guys knew that the power had accumulated much too much in the speaker's hands, and they were not going to vote for the speaker until uh, there was an agreement to put some good people on steering committee, on rules committee, the committees that the uh, speaker can use to get what he wants. And so there were some big uh, concessions made, and it was all because people were willing to stand up, be called names, and say, no, we're doing this for principle. But I can tell you, it's not fun doing that. Well, Louis, I'm so glad you were there doing it for so long. Uh, Louis, it has been such a delight to have you here. Got to end it here. And just a quick word for my wonderful, incredible audience. Today is the last day I will be with you for about a week. I'm going on vacation. Huh? Yes. An incredible, well deserved. Yes, yeah, thank you. I I have been taking vacation, and I don't know how long a real vacation. No, you haven't. So I'm headed out to sea. I'm going to do a cruise, and I will be back a week from Saturday. And it is Louis a pleasure. We have to do this again. Yeah, you know I always love talking to you, on or off the air. We do both. Thank you, Louis. My friends, may God bless and protect each and every single one of you, your family, your loved ones. It is such gratitude and love that I have for you for being with me here every day on WABC. James Golden, Bo Snurley, and I will be back. Enjoy the time, and we shall see you in the very near future. Keep it here. We've got a bunch of interesting guest hosts sitting in, and I'll be back soon. Don't worry. See you then. Bye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.